So back during Easter, when we started uh, off in chapter 3, I didn't really highlight it because it was, it was Easter, but Paul uh, starts out chapter 3 by saying, finally, brothers. And so uh, some of you may be looking at that saying, what does that mean? Well, it's just like when a, a pastor says, in conclusion, it doesn't mean a thing. Doesn't mean a thing. Doesn't mean a word. So uh, he starts out and says, finally, and then uh, immediately starts giving the Philippian church the warning about people who are coming in. Throughout chapter 3, he's juxtapositioned or compared and contrasted the fact that the church should be looking at, at him and Timothy and Epaphroditus and following after them. And he keeps talking about these dogs, these people who are out to destroy your faith. And we saw a little bit where he showed that it was that these, these people who are being destructive are uh, both in in bad theology and bad practice, but he didn't go into detail. And so as he kind of buttons up this thought, he's going to go into great detail about how, how exactly do you spot these people who are going to be harmful to you in your Christian walk. He's going to give us specific examples of what to look for. And so Remember that this is in the big arc where Paul has said that we need to rejoice, we need to be walking in, in the spirit, that our spiritual lives going day by day by day is influenced and impacted uh, by a lot of things and, and we looked at how worship is important and one of the things that is the most important aspect of how your spiritual walk will go is who you surround yourself with. The reality is, as the book of Proverbs says, you are the people that you hang around with. And that's just reality. If you hang around with a bunch of people who are constantly negative, who are constantly putting down what's going on, who are constantly telling you how everything's going bad in your life, you're going to start becoming negative. If you're around people, I tell my kids this all the time, who are foul-mouthed, you're going to start cussing whenever the opportunity comes up. If you're around people who are always praising God and talking about God, that's going to have an impact in how you live your life. In today's world, it's also what you put into your mind. I mean, if you sit around and you watch people cussing, being ugly all the time on the face pages or, or on YouTube, that's what's going to come out. And last week we saw that, and I, I used the example of a tube of toothpaste. If you squeeze a tube of toothpaste, toothpaste is going to come out of it. I remember when I was in the Boy Scouts, uh, and this was before there were places like REI or, or uh, Academy that you could go to, we took a tube of toothpaste and spent like an entire Cub Scout meeting putting peanut butter in it so that you could put that in your pack. And then I remember, you know, going out to Knocklow Falls or wherever we went on our hike and squeezing the peanut butter out of the toothpaste tube, and you know what it tasted like? Toothpaste. Because that's what's in there. And so what you put in is going to come out. That's just the reality. And so Paul now breaks down very specifically how we know the people that are out for your destruction. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example we have in us. For many whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross. And then now he's going to describe how you can identify an enemy of the cross. So you need to stay away from these enemies of the cross. He referred to them back at the beginning of three as dogs. And now we're going to get a descriptor. He says their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. 
and their minds are set on earthly things. So I want us to back into that because he starts with destruction and I want us to end with destruction just as a way to, to take this list and kind of back into it. And so the, the first thing, if we're backing in, uh, that we see there is that their minds are set on earthly things. The people who you are around who all that their mind dwells on is what's going on today. What is going on in this world? Their mind is dwelling on earthly things. See, he immediately after this follows and says, our citizenship is not of this world. It's just not. And so the reality is, if you go around all the time looking at, at, at the world around us, let me tell you something, it'll get you depressed. Because you look at the news, you watch Fox News, CNN, MSNB, I don't care which one it is, I don't care which lean it is. You know what, They're not, nobody's going to watch this young lady here had a good day. So they don't report that. So if you watch it or you get on the face pages and you sit there and you scroll and you look at, at, at everything, it's going to fill you with angst and anger and upsetness. Because somebody in Wichita, Kansas did this stupid thing and you read that and you go, what is this world coming to? Well, you know what? There have always been stupid people doing stupid stuff ever since Adam and Eve ate the fruit. We just didn't read about it every day. And so as believers, we're to fill our mind and be dwelling on heavenly things. Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth that moth and rust can corrupt and thieves can break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And so our thought processes should be on Christ. And, and so if you're, there's somebody and their, their world, what they orient themselves with, what they think about, what they feel in their mind is all temporal today, then you don't want to be around that kind of person. You don't want to be around a person that all they can talk about is politics. Because you know what? Politics have always been nasty, ugly, and full of lies and always will be. Because politics from the beginning have been about money and power. Neither of which are befitting a Christian walk. You know what? I don't care who we're going to elect next time. It's not going to fix the world. You know what's going to fix the world? The church of God acting like the church of God. And so if my thoughts are constantly dwelling on earthly things, I need people around me to say, hey, how was your walk today? What did you find in God's word today? What today has spoken to you? How's the Holy Spirit moving in your life? I need to be around people that think eternally. I'm not saying that we walk around with our cloud, head in the clouds and we don't. We all have to go to work. We all have to go deal with day-to-day -day life. But what's your focus on? You know what? Whether Alabama or Auburn have a winning football season next fall, Jesus is still on the throne. And we, I'm, I'm, I just won't even go there. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> they glory in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. And the other thing we see, they glory in their shame. Well, at first blush, we read that and say, what kind of idiot would glory in the stuff they're supposed to be ashamed about? Let me tell you, just get out the interwebs. And you'll see lots of people who glory in stuff they should be ashamed about. There are lots of things that, that, that even 20 years ago would have filled us with shame. It would have never been talked about that people now post. 
There are people who celebrate and enjoy and, and, and rival in sin and wickedness and destruction. And so if you see someone that that's where their mind dwells, if you're around somebody that glories, that revels in things they should be ashamed of, you want to run from that person. You do not want to include them in your life. Their God is their belly. This week I was at, at, it seems like the last month I've spent every waking hour either at a funeral home or a hospital. Um, I was at a hospital sitting around talking to people and I had someone who was probably close to 40 years old. It was a lady, so I wasn't going to ask her how old she was. Um, who said, did you know in my life I've never heard a sermon on gluttony? And I thought about that, and I thought, when's the last time that I heard a sermon where someone pointed out that gluttony is a sin? And i got to say, it's probably been 20, 30 years. And so that tempted me to want to make this be about gluttony. Um, I really wanted to say, well, I'm going to, aha, I'm going to jump on that with both feet, but I can't make God's word say what it's not saying. So this text What Paul is talking about here, their God is their belly, is really talking about someone who lives their lives for immediate satisfaction, immediate gratification. And you know what? Our culture teaches us that that's the way you're supposed to live your life. Things that we say, the way that we act. I I hear people all the time, now, please, if, if you have a blood sugar issue, I'm not talking about you, I, but I do hear people sometimes say, I, hadn't eat, I ate breakfast this morning at 7 o'clock, and it's 11 o'clock, and I'm starving. You ain't starving. You're an American. You can go like 30 days without eating anything and it not have a negative impact on your health. You're not starving if you haven't eaten in six hours. Oh my gosh, my head is just killing because I, 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 I hadn't eaten. Well, that's probably good. All of us are probably carrying 10, 20 pounds around that we could, we could tie into if we got really hungry. We don't deny ourselves anything. I was started pastoring a church in, uh, in, in Coleman County, and the church was butt up against some really difficult issues. And so as the pastor, I said, why don't we take the next few months and every Sunday, let's fast and pray about this issue. And I had everybody looking at me like a calf looking at a new gate. They didn't know what fasting was. They had never been taught the biblical discipline of fasting. And so I said, here's what we'll do. Uh, it, now, if you are taking medicine or something where you've got to eat or you're diabetic and you've got to eat, you can fast. Daniel says that he fasted from tasty foods. You can fast from anything. So we talked about that and we, we planned, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're, we all come together on Wednesday night, so uh, we will all fast Wednesday. And I taught about it from the pulpit a few times. And, and we're going to fast this Wednesday and then we'll come together and we'll pray about it. Uh, the, the issue that was going on in the church. And, and so next thing I, I hear through the grapevine that, that, well, we've decided we're going to have a meal after the, the meeting since everybody will be fasting, we'll have a meal. And then next thing I know, it turns into a fish fry. And next thing I know, they're inviting other churches. And I'm like, how in the world only a Baptist church could turn a fast into a neighborhood fish fry? <laughs> and so the last hour of the fast while I was teaching, you could, you could smell the, the crappie smell coming into the church. And everybody's in a fussy mood and mad because they're like, oh, my gosh, because we went seven hours without eating anything. 
But our culture tells us if you want something, you need to fulfill that need. I, 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 it is, to an American, it is the most illogical thing in the world to save money and then buy something. Why? I'm carrying around these cards. They'll just give it to me. All I got to do is swap it. Immediate, instant gratification is not a godly discipline. We don't know the concept of denying ourselves. And people who all they're about is what sensual, when I mean sense, the five senses, what's going to make me happy right now? I mean, how amazing is it that, that we, we have cut the cord where we don't have cable in my house, and, and so what we have instead is Netflix, Hulu, Roku, We've got all the other things, and so we've got a thousand channels that we can watch at any given moment. And I cannot tell you the number of times I've been walking through the living room and said, there's nothing to watch. I mean, it's not even where we got to wait for the shows to come on anymore, right? You, you want, you're in the mood for some Gilligan's Island? Go watch you some Gilligan's Island. Bam, right there. There's Ginger and Marianne, right there. Woo! You want to watch you some MASH? Bam, there's some MASH. You don't even have to look anymore at the channels. You've got a little a mash. M, do I have to put the asterisk in? And I can, bam, I can watch it. Instant gratification. And that is not in our spiritual walk how things are supposed to be. In Romans it says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. There are people who all they want is what they want, and they're willing to roll over you to get it. And they want what they want now. It's Burger King, baby. I want my way. And we would li- I would like to think that it's only out there in the world that people act like that. But that's not the case. In 2 Timothy, Paul writes, Timothy, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for peoples will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, can't make them happy, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. They have the appearance of godliness. So I'm reading that whole list and I'm thinking in my mind the world and and all this stuff, and then they have the appearance of godliness. These are folks in the church that are coming to church And all they're wanting is what I want. I want my way and I want it now. And Paul is saying to the church in Philippi, don't be that way. And when people are that way, don't fill your life with those kind of people. Be the kind of people that he's going to describe later. In fact, They'll even be preachers that come like that. Second Peter 2 says, But false prophet also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. 
and many will follow their sensuality. Again, what satisfies my senses? And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation is from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So if you see someone that has to have everything their way when they want it, Paul is saying, avoid such people. And then finally, Paul opened this discussion up by warning those people that their end is destruction. In Matthew 7, it says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus also warned his disciples, don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather be afraid of him who can kill both the body and soul in hell. And so we, as we go through our Christian life, we should surround ourselves with people like Paul, like Timothy, like Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was called a good soldier for the Lord. Paul was called a servant, someone that was willing to serve God's people, not people who are all about their own gratification, their own satisfaction, and what can I, I want it my way now. Now, if Paul ended here after describing who we should avoid, this would be a pretty depressing text. But there's one of those great turning points. But, so we see the destruction, we see the people who are pulling us aside, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Now, you know, when I read that, uh, just this uh, week, I, uh, I janked my back up. And so right now I'm in one of those modes where, you know, if you, if you turn wrong, you immediately know it. And so it's like, everything's okay. Oh, no, it's fine. It's fine. Just, just let me stand still. I'm, I'm okay. I'm perfect. I, as you get to be, I guess it was, uh, Bruce always says, after 40, it's all maintenance work. So, you know, our bodies are falling apart. I, I love that, that, and I've said this before, I love being at a Christian funeral where I can say what was sown in weakness and point to that casket is raised in power. What is sown in corruption is raised incorruptible. These old bodies will be healed. We will come back with a body just like Jesus. He will. What is sown in corruption is raised incorruptible. What is sown in weakness is raised in power. What is sown a physical body is raised a spiritual body. That God will heal these old bodies. So with every ache and pain, it's like I, 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 every time I turn around, I got a new ache and pain. You step out of bed and you say, oh, I, and then you look, oh, well, plantar fasciitis. I, I can't even pronounce this word, and I got it. And, and like I said, I, I feel like the last three or four weeks I've spent more time in the hospital than I've spent in my own house because all you people keep getting sick. <laughs> Having to get stents and, 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 and all kinds of craziness because these old bodies fall apart. 
And that's true. That is very true. But in the light of the context of this text, Paul clearly is talking about spiritual things. And I think more he has in mind here than these physical bodies that are wearing down is Romans chapter 7. The thing that I would do, I don't. And the very thing that I want to do, I don't do. Oh, the wicked man, the wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of destruction? These old bodies, how often do we have to get on our knees and say, God, I'm coming before you again. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me because again, again I fell in this same area. How am I the only Christian that day after day after day it feels like I, I fail again and again and again and again? I think in the light of the context of this text where Paul is talking about follow me as I follow Jesus, what he's saying here has less to do with these old sore, wore out bodies and more to do with the fact that we keep sinning. As I read this description of the people that we should avoid, I keep seeing echoes of myself. I want my way. When people say that, well, we're going, we, what we're going to do is we're going to do this, and I don't want to do that, I sit there and go, how dare you? Don't you know if you just did it my way, it would be so much better? When I see people that their world is surrounded with the world, I don't look for other people. I see that in my own heart. And so Paul is saying that when Jesus, if we look to him, when he comes back, he'll free us from this body of sin, this flesh that controls us, that we battle with every day. We await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. This weak undisciplined uncaring sometime body will be transformed and this old flesh won't weigh me down anymore I will be truly free to serve him with every ounce of being that I am how how will he do that He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I can hear echoes of Romans chapter 6 in this where Paul says, what do we say then? Do we keep on sinning that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we who are dead to sin continue living in it? Don't you know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. That the very power that we talked about two weeks ago that got Jesus up out of that grave, that very power enables me today to walk in newness of life. And one day, because he's coming back, and I will be like him because I will see him as he is, this whole body will truly be crucified to itself. The very power that calls him to put all things under his feet will transform me into his image. 
And whenever I start looking around at this world and getting depressed or looking into my own heart and getting depressed, and when you do the same thing, I implore you to look to Colossians chapter 1 where this idea, this thought that the power that enables him to subject all things to himself is fully fleshed out. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in heaven or on in earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that because you got up out of that grave, Lord, that we in our Christian walk can walk in newness of life. And God, we thank you that because you got up out of that grave and you are no longer on the cross, Lord, that you have been placed at the right hand of the Father and that everything in this universe is done through you and for you. And God, I thank you that we are not citizens of this world, but we are subjects to the king, the king victorious, the king coming back, the king who rules over everything in this universe, the king that's been given a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. We thank you, thank you, thank you that we serve him and him alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.